Would you turn with me in your copy of God's Word to John 18? John 18, we're going to pick up in verse 28, read down to verse 40. John 18, we're going to pick up in verse 28. As you are turning, we find ourselves at a loaded passage and a loaded moment in our nation's history. We're dealing with the relation of Christ's kingdom to this world's kingdom. And if you think, well, this is a, diff a, a difficult topic, well, guess what? It always has been. You come to my office, I can give you tons of, of works from Martin Luther's letters to Christian nobility in the 1500s, Samuel Rutherford's book, The Law and the Prince in the 1600s, the Gardner Springs Resolution in the 1800s, down to discussions of Christian nationalism today. We, there is a sincere struggle in how we are to relate to the world. It's more challenging today, I believe. Carl Truman, a Presbyterian brother of ours, wrote that all of us are Marxists because everything is politicized today. Never did I think that my gas stove would be a point of national conversation. And yet, even how we cook food is political. If everything is political, how are we to live in this world as Christians? <clears throat> In our passage today, we're going to see the head of state and the head of the church come face to face. And we're going to see a place where we can begin to answer this question. So I just want to pick it up in our sermon in a sentence. A very basic principle of which we will draw from. Christians belong first to Christ's kingdom. Christians belong first to Christ's kingdom. Let's pray and we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, we swim as fish in very muddy waters today. In territory our forefathers have swam with much difficulty as well. We ask that you would pour out your spirit, that you would help us to see through the minutiae of our own day and have clarity on how we may best represent Christ in our day and age. I pray that your word would give to us clarity, that we may follow the example Christ has given to us and died for us. So help us, we ask, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, we're going to pick up in verse 28. Hear the word of the Lord. Then they led Jesus from the house of Calpheus to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat, out, out, eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, 
What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him. If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. My, but my kingdom is not of this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered him, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this pur- purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And after he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. And thus ends the reading of God's holy word this morning. In our passage, there is a tension. The Jews want to do something that they're not able to do. Pilate doesn't want to do something he is able to do. And Jesus is able to do whatever he wants to do. Something has to be done. Getting things done is the very heart of politics. But the tension in our passage is not the fact that something needs to be done. The tension is how it is done. How is the important question. The answer will tell us which kingdom do we belong to. Do we belong to the the dominion of darkness? are the kingdom of His beloved Son. How we answer the question of how will tell us everything we need to know. So to understand which kingdom we belong to and how we are to answer the question of how, we're going to ask of our passage two questions. What? Are we to believe about Christ's kingdom? What does it require of us? What do we believe about Christ's kingdom? First, we can say Christ's kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. 
Now we can see by Pilate's response, he is not threatened by Jesus. He's not threatened at all. He's willing to let Jesus go. Pilate realized that Jesus' kingdom is of a different caliber than his own. It's a different type of kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. But what does that even mean? What does it mean to say it's a spiritual kingdom? The difference isn't in location. It's not as if the civil kingdom, the kingdom of the world is in Utica and Christ's kingdom is in Bolton. It's not an issue of location. It is, it's an issue of power and the extent of power. When the Bible considers civil authorities, the civil government, Paul likes to use the language of a sword. He says they do not wield the sword in vain. Now what are swords used for? Killing people, execution, to coerce people into action. Now that power does not always take the form of a sword. However, it takes the form of force. That may be in taxation. That may be in imprisonment. That may be in execution. But the idea is the same. But I want you to notice something about the sword. The sword can only affect external things. The sword may change someone's behavior, but it cannot change a person's heart. <coughs> you could say the sword is limited to the body. The same is not true for Christ's kingdom. He reigns over far more than just our bodies. He reigns over us body and soul. Instead of a sword, we see that Christ reigns by his spirit. The sword of the spirit, the word of truth. Now let me put some legs on this so we can see an example. Our government has a tax code. That tax code incentivizes charitable giving. Does it work? You bet it works. Because every church in the United States has the most giving in what month of the year? December. Why? Our government is using the tax code to force a change in behavior. However, what we read in the scripture is that Christ's kingdom does not make someone generous at the end of the year. Christ's kingdom gives someone a generous heart so that they're generous year-round. Christ doesn't just change the behavior, the external things. He changes the heart. It's a spiritual kingdom. But two, Christ's spiritual kingdom is spread by spiritual means. He says this in two ways. Once, he says, my servants would be fighting if my kingdom was like your kingdom. And then he says, for this purpose I was born and this purpose I came to bear witness. Not fighting and bearing witness. 
This is how he spreads his kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. The world uses swords, tanks, bombs, guns. Christ uses word and spirit. If Christ was worried about taking external authority away, do we not think Christ could have done that a long time ago? He was, they tried to crown him king. He's got legions of angels. He can snap his fingers and wield nations like axes and swords. He could have performed miracle after miracle after miracle as a display of his authority. But instead, we see that even his miracles are subservient to the proclamation of the truth. Why is Christ insistent on the proclamation of the truth? The sword cannot change your heart. It is the word. Our hearts are at enmity with God. They're dead in their trespasses and sins. But what do we read in Scripture? The word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. That it is his word which created the heavens and earth in the beginning, and it creates in us a new heart today. It brings life. John does not write this gospel as a memoir of quaint sayings and cute stories. He tells us in John 20, I write these things to you, I write these words that you may believe and have eternal life. It is not a matter of raising our IQ. It is not a matter of knowledge is power. It is a matter of new creation. His word creates new life in us. If it was an issue of power and privilege, Jesus has that already. The issue is life, new creation, new salvation. Word and spirit are the two hands by which God uses to bring these things to be. So we have a spiritual kingdom. It's advanced by spiritual means. And it's aimed at a spiritual end. Now what benefit is there to the civil authority? Now, before you say none, that's not the right answer. The benefit to the civil authority is control, restraint, and human flourishing. However, in our state of sin and misery, the flourishing tends to benefit most those who are in control. We see this in the Jews and Pilate, don't we? I love how the Jews put on this display of being so concerned about defiling themselves at the Passover. It's a ruse. They're putting on religion as a cloak because now they're offering up the true Passover lamb, the lamb of God, to be slain. They were fearful that Jesus would take their place and their nation. They wanted control. So they gave up Jesus. Now as we read through church history, the Jews hated the Romans. They wanted to kick the Romans out. 
They'll try to in a couple decades because they wanted the power. They wanted the control. We see in our ESV it says that Barabbas was a robber. Well, there's a footnote. The better word is he was an insurrectionist. He would help the Jews overthrow the Romans. They were worried about power, control. Pilate was no different. Pilate did not care to be involved in the first place. They woke him up early on a Friday morning. He had better things to be doing. He turned from the truth and he turned to injustice. He offered up the innocent Jesus to appease an angry crowd. He lacked moral courage because courage would cost him power and control. Are all these things sounding familiar to us? This has always been the M.O. of the Roman government. To cast aside innocent life for the sake of power and privilege. There's a poem about this called Conversations with an Archaeologist. It says, He said they found a brothel on the dig he did last night. I asked him how they know, he sighed. A pit of baby's bones. A pit of newborn baby's bones was how to spot a brothel. It's painful, isn't it? It's painful. That the innocent and the weak are cast aside so the strong can maintain power and privilege. This was how the Romans operated and mankind, apart from Jesus Christ, continues to operate the same way. You notice we see a very different picture in Jesus. John gives it to us at each end. Jesus is the true Passover lamb who would be sacrificed, his blood shed, so the firstborn of Israel would live. We see it in Barabbas. The guilty Barabbas condemned to die. His place is taken by the innocent king Jesus Christ. This is a picture of his substitution for us. Of him paying our penalty. Of him being geared for our salvation. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, He who knew no sin became sin, so that we might become the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Herein lies the difference. The world's kingdom seeks control, power, and fleeting pleasures. If you're going to seek sinful things, you're going to have to do sinful things to keep them. Lying like the Jews did. Murder as Pilate. And the list goes on and on. Christ secures us a heavenly inheritance by laying down his life for us. Do you know any ruler, any king, that would go to such lengths for his people? Is there any other kingdom that is geared to this end? Do you know this king? Are you a part of this kingdom? Have you pledged your allegiance to him? Which kingdom do we belong to? If you're a Christian, do you profess faith in Jesus Christ? 
you pledged yourself to him and you live according to his kingdom daily? What does this kingdom require of us? What does it require of us who live in this world as pilgrims and exiles? Let me give you three things. One, if we belong to this kingdom, we must reflect its king. Now I am aware that kings are something that we are not used to. We live in a democracy. We live in what a friend of mine calls the seduction of democracy. In a democracy, we elect our leaders. And we want our leaders to be a reflection of us. We want them to be made in our image. But for a king, it's different. The king does not reflect the people. The people reflect the king. We see this in the book of Kings. When Israel has a wicked king, what do the, pe the people do? Wickedness. When Israel has a righteous king, what do the people do? Righteousness. Now why does this matter? You can only have one king. And I'm going to be very blunt this morning. Either Jesus is your king or the devil is your king. Pick one. Paul says that when we were dead in our sins, we followed the prince of the power of the air. That is Satan. He says in Colossians that our zip code was in the dominion of darkness. It was in his kingdom. We followed his direction. We lived his way. We pursued his end. We reflected his character. What's his character? Lying. Accusing the brethren. Or if I can use a more modern term, mudslinging. Are we familiar with that term? Lying. Accusing. Murder. Stealing. Destroying. Do I need to explain to us what that looks like today? Titus gives us a different picture. Titus 3 verse 1 says, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authority, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy, to all people. If you want to do something countercultural, read Titus 3 again. Now you might say, Zach, Paul didn't understand. Paul doesn't know what it's like to live in America in the 21st century. You know what? You're right. Paul lived in a sexually perverse age, far more than our own, under rulers. And people who tried to stone him, kill him, murder him, and all of his friends. Paul was well familiar in living in a world under Satan's dominion. And yet Paul wrote these words because he was more concerned with reflecting his king. And our words... In our thoughts, who are we reflecting? 
Two, if we belong to Christ's kingdom, we bear witness. Now, I will say, that doesn't feel very effective, does it? It does not feel very effective. But Paul says faith comes by hearing. Hearing through the word of Christ. Our aim is not to change behavior. It's to change hearts. The Old Testament. The Assyrians come and they slap Israel right in the mouth. They take them out behind the woodshed. And Israel's response is, I know what the problem was. We built our stuff out of sycamore. This time we'll build it out of cedar. We'll do better. What they're saying is, we need a bigger sword. We need more power. That's the wrong type of power, Bubba. They needed something different. Then he flipped to the book of Jonah. Jonah goes to Nineveh. He preaches a very simple message. And what happens in Nineveh? Everyone from the king to the lowest peasant repented. Their hearts were changed. How? Jonah bore witness. How about the Roman Empire? How did the Roman Empire fall? Was it because Christians learned to pull the levels, levers of power? Because they passed the right legislation? Because they learned how to game the system? No. Paul writes, we have denounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word. But by an open statement of the truth, we command everyone in the sight of God. Righteous words fail a wicked kingdom. That is what we are called to today. We are called to bear witness to the truth. Now you may say to yourself, well Zach, what about voting? What about my responsibilities as a citizen? Go, vote, be a great citizen. Do it out of obedience to Jesus Christ. He tells us to go and do good in the land of our exile. But we vote and we are citizens out of obedience to Christ, not as a replacement for Christ. Our main calling is to bear witness. Bearing witness is a local affair because they've got to hear the words out of your mouth. Not from your Facebook, not from your TikTok, but from your mouth. If we're more concerned with national affairs than our neighbors, that's a problem. We've got to ask the question, are we bearing witness? And lastly, I leave you with this. If we belong to Christ's kingdom, we have a different end. The world prizes power, ease, comfort, control, and every action is guided to that end. And even today, I think that we have taken a posture of winking and nodding at wickedness, at sin, because we understand instinctively if you want to do, if you want to keep sinful things, you got to do sinful things. Our end must be different. It must be salvation. 
And everything must be directed to that end. In the days of the Greeks, their ships had oarmen. And at the end of that ship was a metal spike. And they would ram enemy ships. And for that attack to be effective, every oarman had to be swimming, had to be paddling in the same direction. If our end is salvation, every decision must be guided in the same direction. I often ask people, how do you want this to end? When we share our political opinions, is it to win an argument or to save a soul? When we make a new expenditure, are we worried about a social status or salvation? When we choose our careers and pick our communities, are we more worried about a life of comfort or a life of service? How does our day, our dollar, and our destination further the end of Christ's kingdom? None of us here are called to hang on a cross for anyone else. But we are called daily to die for the sake of Christ and His kingdom. That may be as simple as refusing to dishonor the authorities. I mean, everybody else is doing it. But we refuse for the sake of Jesus Christ. That may be bearing witness with an unpopular opinion. That may be dying to ease and to comfort and control for the sake of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something. That's okay. Because we belong to a different kingdom. Can I pray? Heavenly Father, I just ask you to give us wisdom. This is a very tricky time. And our nation very much feels like a powder keg. I pray that you'd use our words and lives to bear witness that there is a greater hope in another country which calls us home. That there are greener pastures in other places and it is called Christ's heavenly kingdom. Father, I pray that you would turn the hearts of men and women to seek their hope in that place. And that for us here, guided by that hope, every decision may be a reflection of it. Father, help us to live as godly people in a very ungodly age. We ask this in Christ's name.